Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. So we are continuing in this series called Insurgents, and today we're actually at the midway point. We have made it halfway through the book of Mark, which is really fast in like five weeks, right? Like we're like trucking through the book of Mark. And so some of you might be sitting there feeling like you've been drinking from a fire hose, that there's all of this information, this whole entire book, this whole letter to the people in Rome is just coming at you fast and furious. And it feels like it's a a fire hydrant. Some of you might be feeling like, what do I do? with all of this. Like there's this sense of anxiety that is kind of built up in you. Like I've got all of this stuff and I feel this need to do something, but I'm just not quite sure what that means. I'm just not quite sure what it is that I'm supposed to do with all of this. There's this sense of frustration that is beginning to build up because I've got this stuff. Some of you are sitting there thinking like, this is great. Like I've really enjoyed walking through this book, but I feel like I need some more information. I feel like I just need more. Like I'm not quite sure I've settled well into what it is that this revolution, this insurgence is really all about. And there might be others of you that are just sitting there thinking like, I just need to sit down with somebody and process this and pray with them and kind of figure out what all of this means for me and what it means for my life and what it means for us as a church and what it means for my small group and what it means for dot, 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 ellipses added for effect, right? Like, what do we do with all of this information and with all of this stuff? So what I want to do to start today is for us to just recognize that that might be where we are. That might be the space in which we are residing, and that's okay. And so let's just take a breath. Let's just breathe and be like, oh, let's just let it all kind of like go away for just a moment and just a moment and just a moment and kind of sit with that reality. Just sit with the tension of the speed through which we have been working through the book of Mark. We're starting now in Mark chapter 7 and chapter 8. And what's really fun about Mark chapter 7 and Mark chapter 8 is that it begins with this idea of give me a sign. Give me a sign. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever wanted just a sign to just appear and give you all of the answers? Back in 2004, my friend Hank, my mentor, a man whom I deeply admire and deeply respect, decided that he wanted to start a brand new church, much like we have done here in Seattle. He wanted to start a brand new church, and he kind of felt like God was calling him to start a brand new church in Boston. And so he decided that what he was going to do, he'd had all these people speak into it, all of these people from around the country say, yes, we think this would be a beautiful thing. You should absolutely go do this. And Hank said, but I need a sign. 
I need a sign. And so he and his friend Mike, who moved out to Boston together to start this church, decided that what they were going to do was they were going to go start a church if God gave them a sign through the American League Championship Series. <laughs> this is baseball. Okay, so the sign that they were looking for was at this point in the American League Championship Series, the Red Sox were facing the Yankees, but the Red Sox were down three games to none in a best of seven series. Three games to none. Not only were they down three games to none, but in game three, the Red Sox lost to the Yankees by the score of 19 to 8. That's really rare in baseball, like really, really rare. So the chances of them like making it anywhere beyond that was really slim. And so Hank said, hey, Mike, this is what we'll do. If for some reason the Red Sox win, if they come back and beat the Yankees and go to the World Series, that's God telling us we've got to go plant a church in Boston. Well... Never before done in history, the Red Sox came back and won the next four games. Games four and five, they won in extra innings, 14 innings and 12 innings, I think. And then games six and seven, they won handily. Unbelievable. The city of Boston erupted and Hank and Mike were like, well, I guess we're going to Boston. Right? They were looking for a sign and they pinned all of those hopes and all of those dreams and all of those ideas. And no matter what everybody else around them had said, they were only going to start this church if God said so through the Red Sox. Ridiculous, right? You'd never do anything like that. Well, in 2007, Tracy and I were deciding whether or not to go start a new church in San Francisco. And I remember one night leaning over to her, and we were watching the NBA playoffs. It was the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. Like, it was Golden State versus Dallas. And Golden State was the number eight seed, and Dallas was the number one seed. And an eight seed has never upset a one seed in all of NBA history. And I leaned over to her and I said, hey, maybe we should do what Hank and Mike did, and maybe we should go start a new church in San Francisco if Golden State can beat Dallas. If they beat Dallas in the first round of these playoffs, like, we're going to, we're going to San Francisco. We're going to go do this. She was like, okay, yeah, sure, great. We watched every single game, and Golden State pulled it out in six games. They won four games to two, pulled it out, and I said, well, I guess we're going to San Francisco. Because who doesn't want a sign, right? Who doesn't want God to speak to them through some arbitrary selection of means and say, yes, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. So I pinned all of my hopes and all of my dreams on Baron Davis and Monte Ellis and Andres Biedrins, right? On Captain Jack, Stephen Jackson. I, I pinned all of my hopes and dreams on this team. And then we moved to San Francisco. H have you ever done that? Have you ever pinned your hopes and dreams on something, no matter how arbitrary it is, because we all want a sign. Give me a sign. But signs have formulas, don't they? If A, then B. The sign is simple. If A happens, that's the sign, then I will do this. Then B. If A, then B. We have this sign formula. If I roll a seven, then dot, dot, dot. 
usually you win a lot of money at what are the craps, like if you roll a seven, right? Like it's a good thing, I think, I don't remember. Anyhow, if A, then B. We all do this because signs make life's decisions easier. No matter how arbitrary they are, signs make life's decisions easier. We kind of just see this thing as the thing that allows us to just kind of rest easy and relax and be like, yeah, that happened, so great. I can make this decision. We don't put the onus of the weight of the decision on ourselves. Instead, we allow something arbitrary out there to happen and make it all go. That's what we do. But is this how God works? Does God actually work through the Red Sox? Does God actually work through the Golden State Warriors? Does God actually work through a pair of dye? How does God really work in the midst of this? Well, in Mark chapter 8, we have Jesus who has just quite literally been walking through the entire countryside, just going back and forth on the Sea of Galilee. Last week, we talked about the storm that erupted when Jesus was crossing over the Sea of Galilee because he was going back and forth and back and forth and up along the coast and down along the coast, going to different towns, doing all of these miracles. And as he was doing this, this large crowd had formed around him. And in Mark chapter 8, the the crowd is numbered at 4,000 people. Now, people will argue that the crowd was perhaps bigger than that because really the only people that were counted in that number were men and not the women and not the children. And so the crowd could have been much bigger than 4,000, but just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of simplicity, let's just say it was 4,000. 4,000 people have gathered around Jesus, and Jesus says to them, says to his disciples, I think they're probably pretty hungry. We've been traveling, and we need to send people home. We need to send them away, because I need some space for me. I need some me time. We need to send these people away. And so the disciples are like, well, okay, but where are we going to get all this food? Where are we going to get food for 4,000 people? We're in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. Like, where is this coming from? Like, what are you going to do? Just poof, here's some food, huh, for 4,000 people? And Jesus said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. How many loaves of bread do you have is what he asks the disciples. He said, how many loaves do you have? And they replied, seven. Seven loaves of bread. Now, there's another miracle that we're probably a little bit more familiar with, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000. It happens twice, right? Kind of crazy. Anyhow, Jesus grabs the loaf of bread, and he tells everybody to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them as well. The people ate and were satisfied, meaning they didn't just have like a little crumb and they didn't have just like a little piece of fish. Like they ate and were satisfied, full. Yesterday, Tracy and I, I was coaching our baseball team up here on, uh, on the hill, the, the junior high team. And when the game got over, Elliot was at a birthday party. And so it was like, oh, this is great. Like we have an afternoon to go 
out on a date, right? And so we walked over to Mexicali Oaxaca, and it's, it's great tacos. Like, oh, it's just good tacos. It's like the best tacos on the hill, right? And so we, we eat, and just three little street tacos, and I get done, and I, we start to walk. Oh, we have some chips and guac. And I start to walk, and I was like, man, I'm really full. How on earth am I so full? Like, I was satisfied with three street tacos and some chips and guac, right? I was satisfied. I was full. That's how people felt. Have you ever had a good meal like that? Just like, you just like, go and you eat something. You're like, oh, I feel good. Like, I'm satisfied. That, that hit the spot, right? Like, this is how everybody felt. They ate and were satisfied. And when they were done, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Seven basketfuls. Started with seven loaves and a little bit of fish and finished with seven basketfuls of broken pieces. And after that, he sent the disciples away. Or he, he, had sent, all, he sent all the people of the way and he got into the boat with the disciples and went to, the region, went to a different region. And the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they said, can we have a sign from heaven? Like, Jesus, we really want to believe in you. We really want to believe that you are who you say you are, but can you give us a sign? Now, if I'm Jesus, and I'm not, but if I were Jesus, I'd be like, are you serious? Didn't you just see what I did back there? Like 4,000 people just ate and were satisfied. And before that, I had just cast out a demon on the other side of the river, or on the other side of the lake. And before that, I healed a dude with leprosy. And before that, there was this blind guy. And before that, there was this lame guy. And before that, there was another demon possession. Oh, and before that, do you remember that little girl that was dead that I brought back to life? You want a sign? Haven't I done enough? Isn't this good enough for you? Like, what do you need? What else do you need? Jesus' response was a little bit more poignant. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to you. No sign for you, right? Like, that, that's what's going on here. Like, basically, Jesus is saying, like, I have done all of this stuff, and it's not good enough for you. You're not going to get a sign that will satisfy you. You're not going to get a sign that is going to answer all of your questions because I've shown you what this kingdom is. I have shown you who I am through how I live, through how I act, through how I have changed everything that I have come into contact with. And you're still asking for a sign. It's never going to be good enough for you. No sign for you. It's a little different, right? But still the same. No sign for you. If you would just look, if you would just open up your eyes and see around you all that I have done, perhaps then you would see who I am. But this isn't what we want, is it? We don't want to open our eyes and look around and piece together this puzzle that God has created for us to use our minds in loving him with all that we have. Instead, we want God to just do it on our terms. Show us a sign on our terms. Show us what we want to see. 
Show us what we need in order to believe well, instead of us doing the work to see what it is that God is doing all around us, all the time. It's not what we want. The author Zora Neale Hurston wrote this in her book, Tell My Horse. She said, God's always behave like the people who make them. God's always behave like the people who make them. We have this Jesus who is sitting there saying, I am not going to fit in your box. You want a sign. You want me to do what now? Like, what is it that you want me to do now that will then make it so that you can believe in me? I'm trying to show you something much bigger, much broader, much more beautiful about this kingdom. And you're sitting here trying to say, no, this is what it is. This is what we really want. But do we really know what we want? The gods that we create behave like we want them to behave. They don't do the things that are outside of our own box. Anne Lamont put it this way. She, she said... Uh, she said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> right? We want to fit God in our box. We want God to be tailor-made to agree with us, to agree with everything that we want him to agree with. We want this Jesus to do everything that this Jesus is going to do but only if we agree with it. Jesus has to agree with me. And if Jesus doesn't agree with me, well, he's not really Jesus, is he? Mm -mm. Nope. But that's what happens when we tailor make our own gods. When we create these gods in our own image. When we fit them into our box. So here we have in Mark chapter 7, we're back up just a little bit, just before this feeding of the 4,000. Jesus is replying to those same religious leaders who are asking for a sign later. He's replying to them and he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. <laughs> hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And then he continues in chapter 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must empty themselves of all of their wants and all of their desires that you may then follow me, pick up the things that are hard and follow me. James Cone is a brilliant theologian. He said the cross is a paradoxical religious symbol because it inverts the world's value system with the news that hope comes by way of defeat, that suffering and death do not have the last word, that the last shall be first, and the first last. The cross is paradox. Jesus is a paradox. 
as we clamor and desire and hope for all of these symbols, for all of these signs, for all of this way of doing life a whole lot easier, that we don't have to make the hard decisions with God on our own. When we sit in this space, in this hope, we have a Jesus who says, that's not what it's about. It's about denying yourself, picking up your cross and following me, of actually doing the things that I want you to do, of following in my footsteps in these ways. Uh, Pursue me. Don't pursue signs. But look at the world around you and see where I am at work. See all of the beauty that is unfolding before you. See all of the stories that are beginning to bubble up, that are beginning to percolate from the ground, and see what it is that I am up to. Join me there. Don't ask me for a sign. The signs are all around you. The signs are everywhere we look because honestly, I truly believe that the light is winning. That when we live in this world of light versus darkness, that there is light that is actually winning. We have a manifesto as a community. We have a a series of beliefs or like belief statements or value statements. And part of it is we believe in stories. We bring people together from diverse backgrounds and spiritual beginnings, confident that together we can inspire one another towards a positive engagement in this world. We experiment. We try new things. We fail all along the way, writing new stories of hope and love and justice. We are dreamers, artists, activists, and faithful friends who will not give up on who Jesus has called us to be and do together. Every single one of us has a story that is percolating up in our life. Every single one of us are a part of larger stories that are unfolding around us. It's like a giant Venn diagram of people, right? As our experience, as our stories grow and they overlap with others all around us, we become this giant tapestry, this giant, beautiful patchwork quilt of story, of love, of beauty that is beginning to percolate and come to the surface. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, stories and life are blooming everywhere. Stories and life are flourishing everywhere around us. We don't need to ask Jesus for a sign. We don't need to ask Jesus to show us who he is because it's already happening. It's already taking place around us. We just have to open our eyes. We have to sit down with one another and converse and talk and figure out where our stories overlap and don't overlap to see where the holes in our story are, to see where the the holes in our tapestry are and begin to see what God is doing in and through us as he pushes us forward. This, this is the work. This is the work of building a community. This is the work of seeing Jesus' fullness embodied in us as a church and as a people. While it's fun to say that the reason why we went to go start a church in San Francisco is because Golden State upset Dallas, 
in the first round of the Western Conference NBA playoffs in 2007. And it might be fun for my friends Hank and Mike to say, oh, we went to Boston to plant a church because the Red Sox beat their arch rival Yankees in seven games doing something that had never been done in Major League history. In the 150 plus years of Major League Baseball, it had never been done before. It might be fun to say those things and it might bring a sense of relief or it might bring a sense of comfort that, oh, that's the reason why we're doing something. The real work is in looking around. The real work is in observing the stories that are unfolding before us and allowing those to be the things that we lean into, those that are the things by which we push forward. The insurgence and the revolution that we are a part of is an insurgence and a revolution of story. It is a story that has unfolded and continues to unfold in our midst. We are not a part of something that happened a long time ago. That is a part of our story. But we were a part of something that has unfolded now and continues to unfold in front of us as we get our hands dirty, as we get our feet dirty in our midst. I, I don't know the exact number because I haven't done the math, but in the year plus, year and a half, that we have almost two years now that we've been serving at Tent City, we have prepared and served over 3,000 meals for residents that are both past and now present. Residents that have moved on to find new housing or, or have moved on because they've been reunited back with their families. Or people that have just moved on into other parts of the city or other parts of the community. We have been a part of influencing and impacting their life through that. And now presently impacting a new set of people that have moved into that community. In fact, they've invited us into a barbecue that's happening. We don't have all the details yet, but they want to provide us as a church, as a people, a lunch. They want to serve us because of the love and the relationship that we have been developing with them because of how we care for them, because we are still the only people that actually serve them the meal. We don't just drop it off and bolt, but we hang out. We get to know their names. We get to know their stories. We get to celebrate when they get new jobs. We get to celebrate when they get new housing. We get to celebrate with them, and at the same time, we get to mourn with them when they lose a job or when they have family that is sick or they have not seen their children in years. We get to spend time with them, working with them, loving on them, caring for them as human beings, as people. This is a part of the unfolding story of our community that we do every single week, faithfully, week in and week out, even when we're exhausted. But it only happens because there's a group of people, a larger group of people that are doing this regularly. It's not us. I'm not there every single week. I can't be, right? And no one really can be. But we all pitch in at different ways to make this story unfold, to make this insurgence a reality here in our place, here in our space. The insurgence is happening. The insurgence has happened, but the insurgence is still happening. And we get to play a part in that. We get to be a part of that. 
And so some of you are sitting here thinking, like, this is great. And some of you are thinking, like, uh, okay. <laughs> right? Some of you are sitting here thinking, like, well, I've got ideas of things that I could do, of things that I could create in the midst of this insurgence, things that I can actually do and bring people alongside with me and actually go and do these things. If, if that's what's running through your head right now, that's amazing. Go do that. Like, you don't need permission. Just make it happen. And if you need permission, you got it. Like, go do it. Go do these things. Create, create, create. And for other of you, you're, you're sitting here thinking like, well, I'm really passionate about these things, but I really need other people to know about it. I really need other people to know about what it is that we are doing in this community. I, I need other people to hear what it is that God is doing in and through us. If, if that's you, share that story. Tell people without filter. Just tell them the goodness and even the things where we fail at as a community. Tell them those things and say, we're a people in process. Share that story. If you're sitting here thinking like, man, you know what, there's probably some people that are doing some really cool stuff in our community. Some, some things that they're really like making a difference doing. But how are they doing? How can I care for them? How can I sit with them in the midst of this? If, if that's kind of what's running through your head at the moment, like, oh, man, I just need to care for somebody in our community that is in that space. If that's you, talk. We have to share these stories so that we can then do the things that God has called us to do that will pull us together. Those that will care for each other in our community will be the glue that holds us together. They will be the stitches that hold and pull us together as a people. And for some of you, you're thinking like, well, you know what? I really just want to tell people, I just need to talk. I need to share what it is that God is doing and how this gospel, how this insurgence makes a difference in the world around us. I have to speak truth to power. If that's you, do that. Don't hold back. Speak truth to power. Speak with wisdom and with love and with grace and with mercy, but speak it and speak it loud and speak it clear. Because in the midst of that, this is who God is creating us to be. These are the types of people that we are as a church. This is the types of people that we are as a community. And God has gifted us with these different ways of understanding and of looking at the world around us. But he expects each and every one of us to step into that without a sign, without a sign, but fully understanding that this is happening in our midst, that it is unfolding around us, because this is the way of the cross. This is the way of denying ourselves, but living fully into who God has created us to be and allowing us to see this kingdom, this revolution, this insurgence flourish and flow before us in unbelievable ways. Let us be those people, and may we be those people. And so if that's you, if those are the things that are percolating in your mind, do it, do it, be it. You have permission, and we need it. We need you to be that with us and for us, and to us, all around us. God, thank you for your son. And thank you for the ways in which he teaches us and shows us the ways in which we are supposed to be, the ways in which we are supposed to interact with this world around us. So, Father, this morning, the things that are 
bubbling into our heads, the things that are moving in and through our hearts, the things that are prodding and poking our minds, Father, may we see that and may we respond to that. May we respond to you. May your spirit infuse us with a new understanding of how it is that we are to be in this world around us. It's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.